Hey, .NET Rocks fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. .NET Rocks episode 963 with guest Robert Scoble. Recorded live Monday, March 31st, 2014. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, developing the next generation of apps for touch, motion, gesture, and sensor input. Online at franklins.net. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. Hey, man. Hey, dude. What was with that tablet show announcement yesterday? <laughs> no more tablet show. Yeah, yeah. And it, and funny that we landed it so close to April 1st that the most of the tweets were just, you guys are joshing, You're kidding. right? Yeah, no, it's true. Um, basically, the tablet show is now .NET Rocks. So we now get three .NET Rocks every week, Tuesday, yep. Wednesday, and Thursday. And one of them will probably be a mobile-based. At least one. At least one. Yeah. It'll be a, sort of a, a mobile show. Yep. Wednesday show yep. will tend towards the mobile side. But one of the things I like about having it all in, under one banner here is that if mobile's really hot that week, there's a lots to talk about. That's we'll right. do two shows. Exactly. Just like we said in the last tablet show, which, by the way, is three minutes long. <laughs> no, maybe two. <laughs> It's just an announcement, just like that. Uh, anyway, Robert Scoble is here. He's coming up in just a few minutes. But before we get into the show, let's roll that crazy music because I got a good Better Know framework for you. All right, what do you got? Our friend Thomas Betts sent uh -huh. in this uh, uh, Better Know framework. Some guy wrote an F-sharp MVC5 app just to prove that he could. Okay. Okay. Tinyurl.com slash F sharp MVC. That's F S H A R P M V C. Go ahead and check it out. And um, you will see some very strange looking code in an MVC controller class. Huh. With the word let, you know, <laughs> something you haven't seen since college, I'm sure. Let. Let. And, uh, you know, he. He gives the guy plus one for F-sharp, but just because you can, does it mean you should? I don't know. It's fun. Well, it's it just gets into this big discussion about, uh, you know, F-sharp is a general purpose language. Yes, you it know? can be but done. That's, that's really interesting to me because you clearly can do it. Whether you should is the debate. I think it's exactly what you applied. Oh, I don't know. I think every, I think any code should always be written, you know, whether people continue to write and use it in production, that's the question. But uh, any exercise should always be done. I think it's great. Give the guy some kudos. Awesome. Yep. All right, there you go. Tinyurl.com slash F-sharp MVC. Check it out. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 945, and that is the one we did with Ms. Michelle Bustamante. We were talking about DevOps on Azure. And this comment comes from Vinnie Brown, who says, I always love the shows of Michelle Rubustamante because of her experience with Azure and startups. I'm using Azure with the Microsoft BizSpark program with my own startup. I'm internally grateful for that program. I'm not sure I totally agree with Michelle's comments on branching. I currently use a development process where there is a main branch and everything gets checked into that. And at the end of the sprints, I snap off a release branch and anything that is ready at that time goes in. Anything not ready gets left out. We constantly check into the main using code attached to user stories in a continuous integration pattern so that a build will not get promoted to testing unless all the associated tests, both unit integration, pass. If code passes through QA, the associated use story is closed. Just before the end of the sprint, we agree on a code freeze date so that at the code freeze, we can snap off a release branch 
which just amounts to a snapshot of main which gets released. The previous release branch will serve as a rollback candidate in the event that something goes horribly wrong during deployment, which I've never used. If issues are found, as Richard has also noted, we quickly fix and roll forward. Mm-mm. And we were talking about this sort of DevOps model where you never need to go back, you always go forward. All of this is dependent on clear, concise user stories, of course, and a robust collection of unit and integration tests. We have never had the need to use feature branches since user stories are always small enough. If a story were so large as to require a feature branch, it should probably be broken down into smaller items. And I look forward to more interviews with Michelle and am benefiting from her experience. I am amazed that all this info is given away for free. Thanks for all you do. Pretty awesome, huh? Yeah. And hey, you know, you may not be paying, but our sponsors are paying, and we hope you'll pay attention to them. That's right. Because without them, we wouldn't be here. Absolutely. And you'll notice that we are taking on a couple new sponsors this week. Uh, onward and upward, it's uh, it's it's good. And uh, we'd like to thank them again. Yeah, we'll have some fun. So, Vinny... Thanks so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or in any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, let me tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release over 40 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything and everything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including many courses on Windows, Azure, and more in the works. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to our guest, whose bio is way too long to read on the air. Everybody knows him as Scoble. He is Robert Scoble. He travels the world looking for what's happening on the bleeding edge of technology. And, uh, dude, so great to have you back. You uh, were on long time ago when you were talking about this new thing called blogging. Do you remember that? <laughs> well, <laughs> even before that, I remember being a backup singer to you on the uh, on a bus to Yosemite with about 40 geeks oh, some, man. while, he, we while go, you sang uh, My Darling Clementine about 6,000 times. <laughs> Robert, Robert and I go way back to the days of V-Bits, you know, went back in the Fawcett days, uh, yeah. 1993, maybe? Man. Uh, 94? 92, 93, yeah. Good Lord, man. I know. Before blogging. Hey, before yeah, Facebook, before Twitter, why didn't we amount to anything? <laughs> <laughs> it's just such we a We could trip. have started WhatsApp, man. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. So, man, since the last time we talked, so many new things have happened. Um, most, uh, you know, the, the cloud has happened since we last talked, uh, cloud uh-huh. computing. Uh, I, I work at Rackspace, so and I've been there for five years now, which is my longest job. <laughs> yeah, you, that's longer than you were at Microsoft. I know. I was only there for three. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, and then you started this thing called a blog, and they were like, uh, what's that? I don't understand. All right. Well, uh, the blog started before I, before then. I, I started oh, the blog that's right. in 2000. But, uh, yeah, th- that was fun times working there and being one of the first uh, 100 bloggers. You were the human aggregator. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and the whole Channel 9 thing, too, which still goes on to this day. Well, it's it's really funny because Channel 9 um, existed of uh, Vic Condotro, who, who ran the team. Mm-hmm. He's at Google as a vice president now. And right. uh, Jeff Sanquist just left Microsoft and is at Twitter. Yep. And Len Pryor uh, left Microsoft and is at Facebook. So I got friends in like every big company uh, just on <laughs> Channel 9. <laughs> right. That's amazing. And since yeah. you've left Microsoft, you've been you know, all over the media too. I mean, not just in our uh, neck of the of the industry, but in business industry as well. You know, that's what there. happens when you put your phone number out on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all over it. So anyway, so you guys have been doing great. Well, yeah, what? just it never ends. We we do this every week, and people keep listening. We don't know why, but uh, for some reason they keep coming back to us. Well, it's it's fun watching you guys and watching uh, 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 the guys at Plural Site. You know, you just mentioned them; they they were part of the VBits crew as well. Sure so. were, yeah, yeah. We've all grown up together. And this, uh, what do you think of 
this uh, this coming time for Microsoft? I mean, uh, there are big changes happening with. There are. It, it it starts. It, it seems like they're uh, acting somewhat rationally for once. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, can't argue with that. You know. I mean, they just released Office on the iPad. It's like, well, we've been waiting for that for th- four years, you know. You know, you th- there there sort of has been a culture of uh, you know anti Apple stuff there. You know, the sort of a love hate relationship, which you know? is sort of funny because there's always been a lot of envy inside Microsoft. I remember meeting with Bill Gates and uh, um, uh, watching him meet with other people, and they were always showing him Apple stuff and keeping him up to date. And so there was. There was always a, a bunch of Apple envy because they were, you know, Steve Jobs could do stuff that Microsoft just couldn't do. Sure, he couldn't. Yeah. So Bill ran the Bill runs Microsoft uh, by consensus and has lots of committees, and that's the downfall of them. Um, it's it's hard to create art when you have a committee, right? And Apple was always a dictatorship. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it will look like this, yeah. or else. Yeah. So, um, and do you think that culture is changing? I mean, it's obviously changing, but do you think it will change inside, you know, now that we have um, the office for the iPad? And also, you know, you have the ability to write iOS and Android apps in C Sharp and Visual Studio now. Do you think that we're thinking of uh, C Sharp and Visual Studio as as a platform for these no but they're they're clearly uh continuing to invest in the cloud I, so disclosure on the rackspace is a competitor of azure so uh-huh probably shouldn't take too many sh- shots at scott guthrie's new baby well that's okay <laughs> but they, can't they also live together too i mean azure has a particular yeah. set of constraints and rackspace does things differently yeah it's it's very we're open source they're not right that's that's a huge difference right there sure um no, actually, Microsoft. It's really interesting because uh, everybody is aiming at Amazon. It, you know, they're not aiming at us. I, you know, if Microsoft has to worry about a little six billion dollar market cap company, the things are really screwed up. Right? Uh, did you just say a little six billion dollar market? Cap well, compared company? to Microsoft, I, I, I know we're it's like just... a little flea on Bill Gates' ass. I, I know, but <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. No, they're not going to be aiming at us. I, and I know some of the Azure guys. I've, I've kept in touch with some of some of the people at Microsoft over the years, and they're they're aiming wholly at Amazon. So is Google, and mm-hmm. there's a price war now going on. Amazon, and Microsoft, and Google uh, last week announced lower prices, and that forced Amazon to come down. And I, I bet we're going to have to react this week. I too. think there's always been a price war going on in the cloud. In fact, I thought it was a race to the bottom as soon as Amazon got on the scene. Um, you know, and and it was just a matter of time before Azure lowered their prices and started competing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Microsoft has a lot of billion dollars to throw to throw into data centers and invest in this market. Um, Google does too. Google, so Google, I I know some of the guys who run the cloud there as well, and um, they brag they brag openly that they can get a packet from here to India faster than anybody else because they have so much fiber around the world. And in fact, that's why uh, Google Hangouts works better than uh, a phone call does. Um, if if you call somebody on Hangouts in India, you'll get you'll find you'll get you're getting less latency than on a phone call, which is uh, pretty crazy. But uh, that would be Google's um, selling point. Hey, we can get your cloud instance to the edge better than anybody else. Um, I, I was listening. That resonates with developers or not? That's a, a whole nother. Another question. Yeah. I, I was listening to uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Planet Money on NPR. This was episode 528, Money, Work, and TV. And they were talking about the um, the network infrastructure required by Netflix and yeah. sort of the, the battle that's going on between Time Warner, the cable companies, and then the sort of the last mile delivery system. And um, talking the difference between what Netflix is doing, which is sort of using the utilities that are out there, and you know what Google did with YouTube, which is just to buy it, you know. Yeah. And uh, yep. it just the challenges that are involved in you know delivering so much data. You know, House of Cards is like the number one show, and it's not on cable TV; it's on the internet. And you think about all the data that is required to to, to stream. It's kind of ridiculous. 
Nah, it's it's uh when you really get down and and visit, you know, uh, like Rackspace or uh, Microsoft or whatever, the uh, peering agreements that you have to have with other companies. Like we have peering agreements with uh, Amazon for the same kinds of reasons because uh, a lot of our customers are on both and and they need to m- move data back and forth really quickly. Yeah, and so if you don't have these kinds of agreements, uh, you got to wait. You know, your packets have to wait in line out, outside. <laughs> right. And so, so what's the story with network neutrality now? I know that the, that it was it was turned down, wasn't it? It was the, the bill was uh, it, it's denied. certainly being it's certainly being threatened by a lot of forces that have a lot of money to lobby a lot of people in inside Congress. So, and for those who are not hip to it, network neutrality means everybody's packet is equal, right? That right. nobody can pay extra to have their packets go ahead of somebody else's packets. And so that is not the case now. People can actually pay for higher uh, priority. Is that true? Uh, that that is true, uh, and that's what Netflix did with Amazon, uh, with Amazon or with uh, Verizon, uh, Verizon, uh, to get uh, their packets uh, pushed into their network faster mm. because the uh, Verizon was able to say, "Hey, you know what? <laughs> We're just going to give you this pipe and." You're exceeding it, and so your packets will have to wait outside the front door or get thrown away, right? And so, you, or yeah, we could make a little deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's going to be more and more deals like that because the uh, the quality of service is so important to these companies. You know, if if you try to watch House of Cards and it doesn't pull up, uh, then who do you blame? You don't, you're not going to blame Verizon. You're nope. going to blame uh, Netflix. Sure. And, uh, Netflix's brand is going to go down in quality and people are going to unsubscribe. Right. It's kind of important it's to them, very, to them anyway. And to the it's customers. very important. I, it's something that I wish, uh, I wish didn't have to happen. I, I, I'm a pro network neutrality guy because, uh, all that means is the rich get richer. Right. Well, aren't, aren't there, whatever happened to multicasting? And I know that there, there is sort of, this is working, I bet, I, I think, right? It's sort of multicast IPs. Is that part of the equation? To Yeah. I, I mean, they're doing all the tricks they can to reduce uh, bandwidth load. And in fact, I just got pitched by a startup who has a new video codec that uh, makes the file sizes uh, less than half and and keeps the same quality up. So people are, are working on every step of the puzzle to right. try to keep the quality uh up while um reducing the network load and this is going to be really important if the world switches to 4k tvs right because oh it's God. uh that's four times the size so yeah. <laughs> even with this new video codec that's still going to be twice the size of uh of existing hd right and to so. me intelligent routing like multicasting seems to be a, a much uh, more bang for the buck kind of th- uh, solution. I, I just don't know the status of that. I I remember it was a big deal back in the. But Richard, you're an IT guy. You you must know the the status of this. Yeah, I mean, multicast's been around for a long time, but because it was created after IPv4 was created, yeah, it's just not Im- implemented consistently. One would argue that we'll only really make multicast work when we start seeing IPv6 propagating across the network substantially, which is possible. But it's years away just because the, you're talking about changing out the backbone routers of the internet right. to, to support this in a higher and higher level. It's just not easy to do. And ultimately, it comes down to the ISPs upgrading their gear and how keen are ISPs to do that. But we were talking about the ISPs upgrading their gear to support multicasting 10 years ago. Yeah. Certainly, they've done done an upgrade by now. Well, yeah, but the multicast, you know, there's just not a lot of incentive there, right? The, the big thing happens when you get to ipv6 is that multicast is part of the spec it's unavoidable oh, along I see. with ipsec and a bunch of other really useful things that make uh, ip a lot a tcp ip a lot more sensible you know i think you just you a light bulb just went off when you said that there's no incentive because if uh if i implement multicasting you know i may reduce my throughput by a by a major factor and if i'm charging by bandwidth uh, my yep. bill just went down yep you just hit it, Richard. That yeah. that is exactly it. The incentive to reduce the network load is low. They want load. They want to pull it up, pull it in more routers, and put in more, you know, because they can charge more for it. Yep. But now it's getting to a ridiculous point. I mean, you know, you get 
some data center that has to move a house of cards around, <laughs> you know, it just becomes a matter of management, not but a matter you, of money. Yeah. But admittedly, so you're sort of saturated saying what's more expensive, running new fiber or upgrading to a protocol that can move the network much more efficiently. Yeah. The concern here is you spend several million dollars to implement this protocol across all this hardware and your revenue drops when you do it. Yeah. 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 Life is hard for us. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. It is funny how much the conversation around cloud is now about the network, not about the infrastructure per se, the, the machines yep. anymore. No, and I, like I said, if I was at Google, I'd be making a big deal about their network because they have more more fiber around the world and more data centers than anybody else, right? So if you're in India and you want you want to have a good web experience, they can probably probably deliver that in a way that few other companies can match. I, I know Rackspace can't match it. Hmm. But Rackspace is, seems to be focusing on this idea of hybrid cloud, which it, yeah, the, the, what you're really going to see us do is to stop trying to compete head on because there's no way we're going to compete with Amazon head on for innovation. There's no way we're going to compete head on with Google for fiber and and there's no way we're going to compete with Microsoft on the tooling, right? So we got to play a different game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which you saw a, a good a good hint is we bought Object Rocket last year and have the fastest MongoDB right now. And that that's how you compete because developers companies are being forced to study everything about everything, which means like Union Pacific is putting uh, uh, sensors inside, uh, uh, alongside the rails to listen to the trains going overhead. And they're already hit, hitting 40 million hits uh, a day off of those sensors. Hmm. And, um, and every company is going to be asked to do that. So now every company needs a database infrastructure that does not look like Oracle, you know, i.e. is uh, uh, modern, uh, so they can see patterns. They can do machine learning and see patterns in that data. Pretty crazy, man. I remember, uh, Carl, when you first showed off the internet at the VBits conference. You know, you, you tell the story yeah, every weather. time you're on the show, and I love it every <laughs> single time you tell it. So go right ahead. <laughs> go right ahead. Well, yeah, I remember, man. How, how did you arrange the world's biggest storm? <laughs> yeah, I just I just called up God, and I said, yeah, I'm going to show this internet demo. So you want to just have a storm coming that nobody knows about, and I'll just happen to show it, you know? So was, I remember I couldn't go home the next morning. It was so it was such a big storm. The, <laughs> no, this was back in the day when nobody was using the internet for real kind of social anything. I mean, it was it was oh, all was academic internet for anything. I mean, I, even this was a crew of programmers, and we didn't even know what the internet was for. <laughs> right, but there were these satellite images, these GOES GOES satellite images at I think uh, University of Illinois Champaign that were on a Gopher server, and they were updated every five minutes. And they were in different folders, depending on what region of the world you wanted to look at. And so what I did was I had code that went out and it was very simple sockets code that went out and downloaded the latest one um, from the Pacific, uh, from the Pacific side, you know, Pacific Ocean side of America. And so and I, and I had that show on the screen. I think I put it into the Windows wallpaper. So I had this app running in the background that would update the Windows wallpaper every five minutes with the latest satellite photo. And this was pretty cool, right? Yeah. But I just had I just showed the the graphic and and it came up and there was this it was a storm the size of America, essentially. And it was moving or maybe it was just the size of California, but it was moving right for San Francisco where we were. And nobody knew that it was coming because we've been all day in the conference and nobody was paying attention to the weather. And it turned out it knocked out the power and people were powerless for it. Oh, Jim had to give people money back and stuff, right? Oh yeah, I I I remember uh, watching people skidding on the freeway outside. I mean, it was crazy. But the but and the, the reaction, whole building was shaking because the wind. I mean, I, it, that was a big storm. It was a big storm. <laughs> but the reaction in the room when the picture came up was like, "Whoa!" And I I wasn't looking at the screen, so I was like, "Yeah, thank you very much." <laughs> what a, I rock! What a great demo! <laughs> I'm the man. Thank you very much. Well, if you're gonna. Uh, if you're going to introduce the internet to a bunch of programmers, you you know, having a great big storm yeah. <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> yeah. But it really did show off the power of having that information rapidly available 
you know, and there it is. And we just went and got it, you know, it was cool. Yeah. So Scope, do you remember when, um, the sort of the buzzword cloud came around and how, uh, everybody sort of didn't really understand the difference between the internet and the cloud. And I, I finally got it that it was about services, right. And, um, you know, services on top of the internet. And, but, but since then, I think people are confusing the term internet and cloud in the mainstream media. And I know that you're, you, you talk a lot to the mainstream media. Do you get that? Like, like I hear the word cloud used, and uh, to mean server, like you send it up to your cloud and I send it to my cloud. Do you hear, well, is this just like a completely misused term now? Yeah. I, you know, people don't know what it really means. They, in fact, most people think it means drop something like Dropbox, right? Which, which it, Dropbox is sort of, uh, it's on the, it's, it's cloud. A, it's a cloud you know, service. But, yeah. But uh, that's not what I think of, <laughs> you know, cloud to me is, um, uh, you know, in the old world where, where you had that uh, weather map up on the screen, that came from a single machine, a single server, and you knew the IP address of that server and right. you could get to it. Um, cloud lets you split that server up amongst multiple different people. So the hardware actually gets split up. So it's and, a, you could think of it as a layer of abstraction over the details of the internet. Right. Right, Hosting. and I, I, God knows what it really means. You know, I mean, I, most <laughs> most people don't know what it means. I, you know, those of us in the business uh, have many different words now for the different pieces that are on the cloud. You know, whether it be yeah. To me, what made this start to appear? I was doing highly elastic computing before we were calling it cloud. Because, but yeah. it was for a specific task. It was like scaling websites, or it really was scaling a service backend for a particular customer. Where when we had surges of transactions, we'd simply light more machines for that, and you couldn't tell, and you and you dial them in or dial them back, and that was all about. It was the combination of internet and virtualization that made that possible with a bunch of software. I, I just, you know, it's the interesting part is how this consolidated around a name. Yeah, you know, Mark Benioff at at Salesforce really uh, used cloud to sell his company. Um, because he said, oh, you don't have any software to install. Remember, it, back in the 90s, we were all installing stuff on Windows or right. you know, maybe a Mac. But um, now I don't install so much software. I, uh, in fact, I install very little software on my local machine anymore. Well, I remember towards the end of the dot-com boom, we had the application service providers, which before the word cloud, there were these guys that provided software online. And yeah. and that, you know, Salesforce fit that very nicely. It felt like they jumped on the cloud bandwagon once the term sort of had come to fruition was the new hotness. Yeah. And so when, when Salesforce uh, was pushing, it's no software. And they still do today. If you go to their Dreamforce conference, they still have signs, you know, with a, with a, a cross through software, you know, because they... They're trying to still make the point to everybody, no, you don't want to install software on everybody's computer. You want to have a web browser and then uh, load stuff onto the cloud, you know, use the cloud, which um, is is very uh, – it's a clean way to explain what they were trying to do. Yeah. Now it's been bastardized because everybody's like, oh, I'm cloud too. I'm cloud too. I don't install software on your local machine, blah, blah, you know. So it's almost become uh, synonymous with with the web, almost at some level. But I don't know. I I don't worry about it. You know, people who are buying um, a, a business infrastructure for the internet, um, they know what they mean when they they call us up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, uh, before we stop for the break, uh, uh, um, an alert listener wants to know if the rumors are true. Go to tinyurl.com slash scobleganger. Scoble G A N G E R like doppelganger but scobleganger. I'm not. Uh, oh, <laughs> that I look like Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> what? <Yeah>. Too soon? <laughs> nice. No, no, no. That's well. Been he's much more alive. <laughs> yeah, you look a yeah, little. You look I a little better than him now. I haven't done my speedball yet this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you two look like you could be brothers, though. Yeah, I, I, I get that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that's a common. Um, common thing. I wish I could have met him because I, I, w- I wish I could have gotten a picture with him, but right. oh well. Well, that's, you know, pretty close. 
Yep. Anyway, so the website you just gave uh, has a picture of me next to Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's, right. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. <laughs> hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to fly down out of the clouds of fantasy and land this podcast on the terra firma of rational thought. Good luck with that. But barring that, because <laughs> that's clearly not going to happen. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's time to announce the winner of a Component One Studio Enterprise. Cool. Yeah. But first, before I tell you who the winner is, let me tell you that whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, Component One's flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. We're talking about .NET controls for professional developers. And this is uh, from Component One, a $1,500 value, componentone.com slash superproducts slash studio enterprise. Awesome. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner is Morton Anderson. Congratulations, Morton. Yeah, nice Morton. score. And uh, he just won this great tool set from Component One. Good friends of ours. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com. Click on the big Get Free Stuff button. Answer a few questions and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away stuff. And every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. So it's in your best interest to stay on the list. That's right. Uh, Robert, you know, we like to ask our guests every show, if you had $5,000 right now to spend on technology today, like let's go shopping, what would you buy? That's a hard one. I'm coveting a Mac Pro, but I have no business reason to buy it. Um, (laughs) Does not matter. uh, You're talking about the the waste paper can? Yeah, yeah, the one that looks like the waste paper. My friend got one. It's a screamer machine. I I heard it looks like a diaper genie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's about, about right um hmm if i could have anything for five grand huh oh that that's tough because i i have everything that i sort of need um, <laughs> well we're not talking about know. need you know if you, uh, oh just just you can splurge right, so, it on all right I, like, here, like a samsung uh you know 70 inch screen or something dude i'm yeah. gonna bail you out you would donate <laughs> it to your favorite charity because oh, that's the humanitarian that's you so are. so nice. <laughs> You're so generous, Robert. Well, I'm, I'm the most man. generous guy I know. <laughs> <laughs> but now you have to pick a technology, uh, uh, you know, uh, charity. <laughs> All right. Bill, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or something. Yeah. Right, sure. <laughs> I don't think they need any more money. No, they, they wouldn't even notice five grand arrived. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can donate it to my charity, Robert, Humanitarian Toolbox. Ah, the Humanitarian <laughs> Toolbox. He would donate it to the Humanitarian Toolbox. HTbox.org. We We're just finishing our filings to actually be a registered charity, so it's happening. I like the way you think, Robert. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I like it better, too. <laughs> I didn't know I was such a nice guy. <laughs> Very good. And you didn't need another diaper genie anyway, really, when it comes down to it. No. Yeah. No. Nice. So tell ah. me, in your travels, you see amazing things and, you know, sometimes find things that uh, a lot of us don't see. So what are some of the most amazing things that you've- That's uh, getting harder, by the way, uh, yeah. because it, if you have anything good, you're going to be, like, in the press instantly. It, it's very different than- uh, but not everybody you know, gets to, to try be. it, right? You you go to these places and you try them on and you try yeah, them. And, well, yeah. I get to meet the guys who are running the companies. Like, like this afternoon, I'm interviewing uh, Brett Taylor, who was the CTO of Facebook and started FriendFeed and uh, now is starting this new thing called Quip, which is he's trying to compete with uh, Microsoft Office on iPhone and iPad. And um, so I, I'm taking a fresh look at that space because uh, Microsoft just uh, shipped a uh, uh, office on the iPad last week. So, mm. have you seen Spritz? Trying. No, it's oh wow! That? I can't believe I'm showing uh, Robert Scoble something. So, SpritzInc.com. S P R I T Z I N C. Um, this is uh, this is a little app that basically retrains you how to read, and ah. it shows you one word at a time, and just flashes the word, then flashes the next word, and flashes the next word, and you can 
up the speed so that you can read twice, three times, four times as fast as you normally read. And it actually is really amazing. One of the big problems with reading is that you get distracted by having so many words and your eye has a problem tracking the words. Yep. So while, and you know, you do feel like you're being programmed rather than having free will, <laughs> which is one of the complaints about it. Yeah, uh, I took a speed reading class back in college, and it, it does help you uh, uh, um, learn to read faster. But generally... Uh, comprehension I, suffers. Yeah, it, it, and enjoyment, you know, because then right. you're reading it to read it, to just suck up the information and not just... I don't know. I, I don't read that that way very often. Yeah. It was good study tool, though. If you're just trying to learn something, you know, it's a good study tool. Right. Uh, what I find interesting about Spritz and this approach to reading is it works really well with Google Glass because you have such a limited screen space mm. that one word at a time just is a natural there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should talk about Glass. I, I'm, right now, I'm sort of dismayed with the team. I have – and I think we're going to derail the show completely, and I'm not upset about that. But I did read Age of Context. Oh, the, your you. new book. So, yeah. and I honestly, while it was a lot of stuff I knew because I'm pretty immersed in the market too, I like the way you put it together, Robert. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Well, most of that's, uh, that Shell Israel. So Shell re- writes most of the book because he's a good storyteller. And I, uh, go out and interview the, most of the CEOs and bring, uh, the learning into the process. So the sort of quote pieces and, you know, that kind of here's who's building this. Yeah, we did more than 300 interviews for that book. And so wow. It's pretty, yeah, you know, and, and uh, we went to Oakley and Toyota and Jeez. Aspen Snowmass. The- that sounds cool. Tell, what is the book for those who don't know? So, we, it's about how mobile sensors, uh, big data, and um, social and location data are being fused together to make a new kind of thing possible. So, uh, Google's working on a contextual operating system so think about an operating system, like, let's say, five years from now. It's going to know um, that you're walking down the street because the sensors in your phone have that pattern, right? And already there's apps that do this. Uh, I have an app on my phone called Moves, which already knows whether I'm walking, uh, running, driving, or biking. And it has 51 other contexts that you have to manually set because it doesn't have the sensor uh, abilities yet so you're saying but, push this down into the os and let all the apps have access to it right because if you if for instance with google glass if you knew i'm in an interview right now why would you be bothering me you know hold <laughs> hold all the notifications until the interview's over and 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 google knows that i'm in a meeting or an interview because i put it on my google calendar right, right. and it, so it, it all of a sudden it could go hey he's on a in a meeting on a skype call so let's not bother him right now you right. know when the when the call gets over and and the the internet can tell that right <laughs> if i if it knows uh, i'm driving for example cuz i'm going faster than i could by you know on foot then yeah. uh you know don't you know auto respond with a text that says hey i'm obviously driving or flying right now i'll get yeah. back to you soon no that's a that's a great example and by the way you don't even need to know speed. I know that you're driving because the Bluetooth radio in your car turns on when you turn on the car. Right? If you right. Bluetooth, yeah. And it, yeah, every car, of this every is, car has Bluetooth. Yeah, now. well, some so, of it, but some of them suck, and you turn them off. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. But they're getting better and better, and as they get better and better. Um, but a you, know, you know, a simple sensor, a simple sensor that says you're in a car is is easy enough yeah. to, to implement. Yeah. Well, and, and lots of us are playing with these new uh, uh, Bluetooth smart beacons. Um, the press is calling them iBeacons because it sounds cooler than uh, s- smart beacons. But um, a smart beacon is the is the radio uh, that spits a number into the air, and you can buy them for uh, eh, thirty dollars retail, ten dollars wholesale, and um, uh, they're putting sixty five into every baseball stadium. So. Now we can build a new kind of contextual operating or system that as we walk around a baseball uh, park, the information on the screen changes based on where we are in that park, right? Because it's seeing all these radios that are nearby um, or, or beacons. By the way, that gong you just heard was Robert hitting his microphone. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, was, I, that was a nice sound, though. I like it. It was pleasant. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I got my blue baby 
blue bottle uh, microphone. No, so so the 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 uh, yeah. the beacon thing, yeah, that's very a very simple solution to location at a at a micro level, and I can see that happening in a warehouse. Yeah. I could see that happening in in indoors where there's you know no tri- where triangulation is the only way to to you know where GPS but- doesn't work. Exactly. Well, it, it, I was at Blue, at Broadcom this year. I went to uh, their booth at CES, and um, they showed me how they could um, position you down to about a meter and a half just using standard Wi-Fi. Now, they have to uh, update the Wi-Fi router with some software, and they have to update your phone with some software. So, they, they have to get you to update everything to make this work. But they can make it uh, make you... Um, um, position down to about a meter and a half uh the the smart beacons can go down to inches so and it's um it's it's uh yeah and if you're doing the triangulation it's probably easier just to add a few beacons in your place instead of updating all your wi-fi routers and stuff like that which which you might not even own you know if you're uh if you're a hotel you might be uh you know, outsourcing uh, the Wi-Fi to another company, and they have to update them. So, Richard, I can see that uh, working really well at conferences. Yeah, well, interior positioning, IPS as opposed to GPS, it's it's this huge. Lots of companies working on. It. I know Google's working on it a ton because it's hugely powerful for you to actually be able to maneuver within a building. I, I, the whole conference one's awesome. You know, how much time do we as conference organizers spend on the radio saying, "Where are you"? Like just making that alone go away and auto counting everybody that's in a room, you know, knowing where people are sitting. Like there's all kinds of interesting large data effects. Once I can get down to that, you know, two square meter resolution or, you know, three foot resolution, that tells me a lot about what's going on in a room. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, where am I going with this? The thing is that most people don't realize that every iPhone has one of these uh, um, beacons built into it. And that's why it's sort of become synonymous with uh, iBeacon, because um, iBeacon is the software layer on iOS uh, that sits on top of the radio, on top of these Bluetooth smart beacons. And um, uh, it makes it really easy to write software to use these beacons on the Apple platform Android is about six months behind in this one specific instance. And I bet at Google I.O. in June, uh, they'll, they'll announce some answer to this uh, iBeacon stuff. Because um, it's starting to be a, a big deal. Uh, uh, baseball is putting 65 of these beacons into every uh, baseball park. And we already have 270 million people with uh, iPhones that are walking around that could uh, have these beacons running. And so you you start thinking about that. And now you start thinking about new kinds of social networks that are based on uh, who's standing next to you, or um, or new ha- hashtags. Right? If we're all in a room together, we can figure that out algorithmically and give everybody a hashtag. You know? Yeah. Um, it, it would be. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can do once we start thinking. You know, oh, everybody. You know, a lot of people have these beacons on them, and then there's a lot of beacons in the world. Like Macy's has beacons already in San Francisco and New York, and Apple stores have them all over the world already. So, and these things are only five. They came out literally the day the book came out. So, wow, five months ago. And one of my favorite parts of the book is you do tackle the creepiness factor, hmm. and and eye beacons are right there. You know, I know where you are and where everyone is in this building. Yeah. You know, now yeah. what? There's so many good things that I can think about from that, but when you say it that way, you know, right away, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. That's a little creepy. Oh, uh, th- this stuff is really, you know, I, I believe we're heading into an always surveilled world, and and I'm not talking about the NSA. Um, you're going to walk into a grocery store, and there's this uh, company called Shop Perception that's using PrimeSense uh, 3D sensors, which Apple bought last year for I don't know a billion, one point two billion dollars. The original Connect is based on those. Yeah, well, he he licensed the technology to uh, right. Microsoft for the Connect, um, and these these sensors are are ultra sensitive. Uh, in fact, they showed me one where uh, the sensor was sitting above a desk right next to a projector aiming down at a desk and the desk had nothing on it and it could tell how hard I was pressing on the desk. That's how, that's how much resolution these things have. It's pretty crazy what you can do, but this company called shop perception is putting them over overhead, like at a Walmart in Brazil. And it can see that your hand is touching a box of Cheerios 
and can do stuff in real time. Hey, would you know, you can get 10 loyalty points if you buy two boxes of Cheerios, you know. Okay. You know, <laughs> it's time to move to Europe, Richard. I'm thinking yeah. Canada maybe, you know. I, I well, just don't you know, need, you know, I I go into a convenience store to buy a pack of gum the other day and the guy says, "Do you have a rewards card?" Really? Yep. I'm buying a pack of gum. I used to only be annoyed at Radio Shack for this. And now everybody, you know, and, I, and rewards cards are meant to encourage loyalty. But when everybody has them, what's the point? You just up the annoying factor for everyone. Well, what's going on? I, I just uh, talked with the CEO of Irving Oil up in uh, Canada, which is one of the biggest uh, refineries there. And he has 400 uh, retail stores, 400 uh, gas gas stations. Yeah. And he, he now has a loyalty program, and he's partnering with many other businesses. And so now he's building the equivalent of a United Airlines frequent flyer mile, mile program. And and you will use that loyalty card uh, to buy gum because you're going to get a point or something, and you want the points to be able to get discounts and, and free stuff. But when everybody know? has loyalty cards, whether you get the points at Sunoco or Shell, you know, yeah. Uh, well, the the latest trend is they're spreading out to to not just be your local gas station to be uh, usable at, at a lot of businesses. And, I see. And, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the big trends. So, so you'll pick you know. a tribe of businesses that you do business with, and you know, you might be in one tribe, and I might be in uh, another. Yeah. Right. I see. Yeah. Interesting. So. Yeah, he has a lot of leverage because he owns most of the gas stations in north, north, northeastern Canada. You know, what do you think of that, Richard? A. Yeah, you know the funny they call them loyalty cards because it doesn't feel like they're all that loyal to us. <laughs> no, they're not loyal uh, to us, but they want us to be loyal to them. But but you <laughs> you said going you know move to Europe. Well, Mercedes announced a contextual car at CES this year, and um, you know, and if, if you are in uh, UK. Um, some of the friends uh, who work in the government there say their their system can see you a hundred percent of the time when you're walking in the street no, in, I, in I, Lon- yeah. London, and yeah. they have face detection, so uh, face recognition. So they're uh, they're able to do all sorts of crazy, uh, yeah, crazy stuff. No, I know the Europeans are are in in it as well, and uh, so are the Canadians. I mean, any any sort of developed country is doing this, but um, I guess yeah, you know, I. I spent the weekend last weekend in um, northern Bavaria in this little town and there was, you know, went to this bar and there was a room that was just quiet and I was just so nice to be in a room that was quiet and there was a little TV, but it was off, you know, and uh, just the peace was peace and quiet was wonderful. And it, it just the contrast was like, you know, if this was America, there'd be, you know, people in my face trying to get me, you know, to sign up for loyalty cards and lights <laughs> flashing and, you know, and, and uh, TVs yelling at me and uh, that kind of thing. Nice. Demand for attention. Constant yeah, absolutely. And, attention. and it's just nice to be quiet once in a while. I yeah. forget you forget what that's like, and you you know even in the airport you're just constantly bombarded. Hell, even on the flight, you know, unless you have the last row in the corner and you don't have to pee, you're going to be pestered. <laughs> <laughs> I think they even get you in the last row, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to put a sign on your hat that says "Don't wake me up." <laughs> Uh, anyway, would you like some peanuts, Mister Frank? Yeah, yeah. No, go away. <laughs> Why are you getting angry? I'm not getting angry. Please calm down. No. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what uh, what's next for you? What are you uh, What are you off to? Uh, well, I'm trying to stay at home for a couple of days. I, you know, the last three weeks I've been uh, uh, on the road so much. Uh, I went to Canada, then uh, DC, then uh, came home for a couple of days, then mm-hmm. went to to Texas for South by Southwest and the startup bus, and then came home for a couple of days, and then uh, um, went to uh, Sun Valley for this dent conference, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Were you just at the interactive portion of South by Southwest? No, or? I, I went to the music for the first time in years, and uh, that dude, was a and you lot didn't of fun. come see me. Well, you were playing there, man. I was. I was at the Chugging Monkey and the Thirsty Nickel on on the thirteenth and fourteenth. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you didn't know, yeah. but I didn't know you were there, but I figured, uh, you know, I well, probably should be, have figured you were. We're going to be going next year, and uh, I figured out how to do South by Right, so. Yeah. Which is let somebody else who knows what they're doing show you around. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> by the way, that that turns out to be a very, very helpful thing, and I would like to personally thank Mark Rosenberg for hooking me up with everybody in town. He knew the bar managers. He knew the concierges. He knew where to park. He knew where to load in. Like the guy just totally took care of us and, uh, and showed us a good time as well. So thank you, Mark. And Richard, uh, he meant to tell me, you never call, you never write. Oh, <laughs> Rosenberg. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. Ever since he left California, I just not known where he was. Yep, yep. He was in Austin. That's awesome. All right, guys. I guess that's a show, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, baby. Yeah. You got any last last words before uh, before we say goodbye? No, I, I continue to try to see the future before most other people. Although sometimes I miss I miss it, <laughs> like with your example. Um, today I'm seeing Brett Taylor, uh, and uh, yeah, I just am getting around and seeing all sorts of. Uh, Cool stuff. Trying to put all those videos up on YouTube like you guys do. Well, we'll have to have you back on a regular basis. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me on again. And we didn't even sing My Darling Clementine. Uh, we probably won't. But if, you're, <laughs> but if you're curious about it, you can go to bestofclementine.com. I think it, I think that is still up. Let's see. Best of Clementine. Yeah, for those who don't know, Carl sings yep. – uh, my darling Clementine and all sorts of different uh, genres like ACDC, the Beatles. I think you did share. <laughs> yep. It's oh, still there. Still there. I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fun uh, driving with a bunch of geeks uh, yeah. up to Yosemite. It was fun. It was one of the highlights of my life. All right, then. Which must, must say something about my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Robert. Thanks a lot. Thanks. I will see you tomorrow on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.